Good morning, church. This week, we continue our series from Isaiah chapter 40 to 66, Ruin to Restoration. Last week, we saw how God redeems his people, and this morning, we are invited to respond to God's grace through loving him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and are invited to return to him in relationship. When we worship him alone, we find the restoration for which we are longing. Return to the Lord, church. He is the one true God of restoration. Now please read with me his eternal word from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 to 25. For this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come, assemble, ye fugitives, from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry the idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, pre declare what is to be present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him him will come to him and be put to shame but all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and make their boast in him all flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field but the word of our God stand forever amen thank you Savannah good morning church it is a joy to be with you. I add my greetings to those you've already heard. And yes, I've got some extra books today. Aren't we excited? We're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah as we continue our series. If you don't have a Bible open or a phone open or something in front of you, I want to encourage you to do it. We're going to be down in the Word, and we hope that the Word gets down in your heart uh, as we study it together today. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, where do you turn when life doesn't work out how you expect? or how you want it to. When life is tough, where do you go for restoration, for renewal, to be refocused, re-energized? When your expectations don't meet your experiences, when you have more questions than answers, more fear than faith, where do you look for hope? In the fallen world that we live, we have many options. In the passage before us is gonna encourage us to turn and worship the Lord no matter where we find ourselves today. Here's the truth. We obey that which we give our hearts to. And what we worship in season and out of season, in the good times and bads and suffering and solid seasons of joy, it will either lead us to ruin or restoration. Today's passage is going to remind us that we must turn from the idols of our hearts. We must turn uh, from the counterfeit gods of our culture. We must turn 
to the living God, our covenant God, who invites us to come to him. This section of Isaiah, as we do this series, uh, reminds us of a, of a specific theme for all the prophets in Scripture. All prophets speak of two main categories, idolatry and injustice. In Scripture, where you find injustice, you find idolatry. Where you find idolatry, you have injustice. Because when we put something in the place of God and we look to things to give us what only God can give us, life does not work out as God has designed it. Things fall apart there's ruin. And the restoration of God's design is to give, return and to give our hearts to the Lord and to recenter him in the worship of our lives. God's word is clear. The idolatry and injustice that the prophets speak of uh, really summarize what religion is according to Jesus in the word. It is to be in relationship with the living God, to love the Lord our gods with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so as we head into today's passage, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? If you're like me, the answer's no. <laughs> now let me ask you another question. What do you put in that blank? Lord, I don't love you with all of my heart because of my focus on work, because of my desire to succeed. Because of my need to have power so that I can control. I don't love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength because of what people think of me. Because of, what is that blank that you put into that? Now let me ask you another question. How do you erase that blank and give your heart fully to the Lord? Is it your own self-resolve? Is the solution of scripture for you to examine yourself and say, I'm going to try harder to love God. I'm just going to be like the Nike slogan and just do it. I'm going to add things to my schedule. I'm going to go to Bible study and Sunday school and, and read my Bible and go to worship. And I'm going to love God with all my heart. Is that what he wants? Let me ask another way. I, I, uh, I've been married almost 20 years. You should applaud that. It's a picture of grace. We celebrate that, uh, and, and, and we celebrate a relationship, Lisa and I, in marriage. If I showed up at home with two dozen flowers that were beautiful and they smelled good, and my wife said, Mitchell, this is great. What's the occasion? If I said, I'm just trying harder to love you. Did it work? <laughs> I want to love you with all of my heart. How's this working? I'm sorry, but there is no fragrance of any bouquet of flowers that is going to drown out the inauthenticity of that. I'm going to work so that you love me more? We know that's not going to work in relationship. Why do we think that's going to work with God? God does not need you to perform for him to love you. He wants you to give him his heart, give you your heart. And we're going to talk about turning from the things we give our hearts to our idols of our culture and our lives, and returning to the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And the invitation of today's passage is really an invitation for relationship. God wants to be in relationship with his people. And sometimes just being in the presence of the other is what is needed. It's not about a to-do list, it's about being in the love of the Lord. 
I know in my marriage, we, we have regular rhythms where we celebrate walks together, to be together, to talk, to process. Date nights that are regular, just to be together, to, to, to be reordered, refocused, renewed. Uh, we, on our 20th anniversary trip, we got away for four days, and people said, what was the best part about your trip? And we were just together, right? It was just great being together. This invitation from the Lord to turn from the idols that we are tempted to go to in our seasons of struggle, in our seasons of ruin, that we're looking to for restoration, for things that only God can give us, is an invitation to just return to the Lord, to be with him, to allow his love to wash over you. I'm running to your arms, is what we just sang. And our prayer is that as we look at this passage, that you see the arms of the Lord wide open and that you run to him. Now, the context of this passage, if you have your Bible open, is, is the entirety of, of chapter 45. And really, we can't uh, talk about it without looking at chapter 44 as well. We're going to do both. Uh, but God is very, very clear that he himself wants to be in your presence and you to be in his. He wants relationship. He wants his love to be the context of your connection with him. All through this passage, we can't read the whole chapter, but he, he says, I the Lord. He repeats it, I the Lord wants you. And the Lord is his covenant name for his people, Yahweh. It is a special name that God gives between him and his people. And we see it in verse three. There's, there's a list up here. The Lord, I the Lord, I call you, he says. Come to me. I, the Lord. I, the Lord. Next. There's no other who will equip you. In verse 5. And then in verse 6, he says, I, the Lord. I, the Lord. There's no other God who can restore you. Verse 7. I, the Lord. I, the Lord. There's no other God who can turn your darkness into light. I, the Lord. I, the Lord. There's no other God. Verse 8 who creates the world, who has created and will recreate you. In verse 17, there's no other God, I the Lord, who saves with an everlasting salvation. And it's such a contrast to the counterfeit gods of our culture that we turn to for salvation. They might feel good, but no, there's no everlasting salvation. Only the Lord. Verse 18, and then 15 as well. I, the Lord, I, the Lord, have formed the world and I formed you. He's the potter, we're the clay. And it connects to our context in 44, we'll get to in a second. Verse 19, I, the Lord, only the Lord, speaks truth and what is right and full of righteousness. Verse 22, I, the Lord, I, the Lord, he says, invite you to turn to me, to return only, only he can save. And so this invitation of this context today is the Lord saying, whatever you look to now, look away, turn to, turn from whatever it is that's not capturing your gaze with Christ and turn back to him, the one true God. Now, before we really unpack the word of the Lord, please pray with me as we ask the Holy Spirit of the Lord to speak to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God of restoration and renewal, that there's no relationship uh, that is beyond restoration. There's no situation that is beyond renewal. Lord, there is no fear that is greater than your authority. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit and your light would illuminate this passage and that you would speak to us 
and you would draw us to yourself and to, by your grace. Lord, we love you and pray for your mercy. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. We're going to see two quick points today. The first point is that God is creator. Restoration is only found in him. It can never be found in creation, ever. Look down at verse 18, uh, if you would, and look at what the passage says. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth. Can you say formed? Formed. I need everybody to say formed. Can you say formed? Okay, God formed the earth. That's a very key word in this section of Isaiah. God formed the earth. He infinitely rules over everything as the creator and the former. If you go back to verse, uh, uh, I think it's 15. No, it's not 15. It's verse 11, uh, verse 9 to 11. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? The picture of the connection with the word formed is the infinite rule of God as creator, but the intimate participation with his creation, that your very life and circumstances are forming you. God is intimately involved in your life. And the temptation that we have if we follow the word formed back, if your Bible's open to chapter 44, it runs all the way through chapter 44. Uh, But specifically, we looked at last week, I was in the uh, traditional service last week. If you weren't in there, uh, I'm going to use some categories that I unpacked more from Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. Um, And we we talked about this passage more. You can listen to it there uh, later online. But listen to what he says. Uh, The same word formed is translated fashioned uh, in this passage, verse 9 of 44. All who form, all who fashion idols are nothing. The things they delight in, they do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know uh, that they can be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol? It is profitable for nothing. So so what you see is, and we're going to go back to chapter 45 and look at the word formed, uh, that the word formed speaks of the infinite God who, who forms the world, the intimate shepherd God who forms his people, and the temptation that we have no matter where we find ourselves to look at created things, to worship those instead of God, and those things form us. Do you, do you see that connection? Uh, These idols are worthless. There is no God besides me. Uh, Look down at verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come draw near you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge. They carry about their wooden idols and they keep on praying to a God that cannot save. What is forming you? Now you say, Mitchell, you know, I, I, uh, I don't have any wooden idols. I don't have any carved images that I bow down to. I can't identify. Okay, let's look at the passage more carefully. If you go back to 45 verse 1, uh, it's really interesting. This chapter refers to Cyrus. He says, calls Cyrus his anointed. It's the first time in scripture that the word Messiah is used. The anointed one. And it's referring to a pagan Persian king Cyrus, who's called by God to bring redemption to his people. When you are in ruin and you are uh, unsettled and, and afraid, you are tempted to look at the political powers of your day as your savior. I think we struggle with that in our country. But political power is not a God to be worshiped. It is a tool in the hand of the living God. It's a counterfeit God. Where's your hope? What about verse 14, uh, where the Lord says, The wealth of Egypt, the merchandise of Cush, uh, and the Sabians, the men of stature. 
These are idols of our heart that we have. What about wealth? Maybe you don't have little wooden images, but do you worship wealth? Do you look to wealth to give you only what God can give you? What about merchandise or material things? Do you look to material things or technology to improve you, improve yourself, or to get things that only God can give you? Or is it just God? And what about stature? What about your your status in society? Uh, Where do you put your confidence? You see, we all have things that, uh, in our lives that we turn to, and it may not be a little wooden carved idol, but we have these, what, what Tim Keller calls in his book, counterfeit gods. And they're things that we look to, uh, that only God, to find things that only God can give us. They're created things. This is why Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 25, that the downfall, the, the leading spiral to ruin, is worshiping created things over our creator. That is looking horizontally to try to find what only we can find vertically. And the opportunity for the Christian, or for anyone, is to turn from those things and turn to the living God. Now, we make the silliest things into idols. I mean silly things. I realized this last week, I was really convicted of this. I got to preach in the traditional service, I would try to go in there a few times a year, six times a year, seven Balance it out a little bit. And someone comes up to me afterwards and they say, well, it's good to hear you over here in big church. And I'm like, yeah, big church, right. Good to be up here from the little leagues. And they they say, by the way, anyway. uh, He said, this person said, you know, I just can't take those 7-Eleven services. And I said, I knew what he was saying. And so I made a joke out of it. I was like, 7-Eleven services? You mean those services where you get a slushy or an icy and go on your way? Is that what you mean? No, you know those services where you only sing seven words, but you sing it 11 times. <laughs> oh. And I said, really? I said, uh, do you like that song, uh, Holy, Holy, Holy? What about that song, It Is Well With My Soul, that's repeated again and again? Or what about the Hallelujah Chorus? It's one word repeated 157 times. I said, maybe, maybe, I mean, we, we make idols out of the craziest things. Maybe we worship a certain kind of music and we don't really worship Jesus. And I say that coming to this service using the illustration of Matt Redman, who in his church years ago, he wrote a very famous song called The Heart of Worship. When the music fades, all is slipped away, I simply come. And for his church, he felt like people were worshiping instruments, not an organ, a piano, and guitar, and drums. He felt like people were worshiping their own comfort, their own preference, and not worshiping Jesus. And so literally they got rid of their instruments, like Church of Christ style, man, they went for it. Because he wanted people to just worship Jesus. And it's so easy. We worship the silliest things in our life. We can be in a worship service and worshiping ourselves. Why do people go to a church? Well, they're like me. They have the same inside jokes as me. You know, they come from, they understand me. And you would say me, me, me about nine times. And we're talking about why we worship to a church. And you've got to ask the question, well, who are you worshiping at this church? Right? We worship silly things. And worshiping yourself is, it's just... Trust me, from experience, it doesn't get you very far. We have the opportunity to turn to the Lord. And Jesus says, come to me. 
Don't worship your tradition. Don't worship your religion. Don't worship yourself. Don't worship your preferences. Don't worship your status. Don't worship your finances. Don't worship your security. Don't worship your power. Don't worship your ability. Don't worship your technology. Don't worship your, your political powers. Don't worship your camps, your affiliations, your influence. Don't worship those things. Turn to me. And we see pictures of this in Scripture. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he couldn't turn from his wealth and his power and his status and follow Christ. How do you fill in that blank? What's keeping you from loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? The opportunity is to name it and to remove it. And we'll find uh, the second point that comes on the screen, the screen, the stream. (laughs) Woo! God is the Lord, the covenant keeper. Restoration is found only in him. You see, the covenant of God, the, the, the covenant where we get the name the Lord, Yahweh, it is a covenant relationship that, that is based on his performance and his promises and not yours, so that no matter where we are, we can turn to him. We even will worship our tradition before we worship the Lord. We worship our tradition before we worship the Lord. That's why I have this stack of books up here today. It is the beginning of Black History Month. And I want to encourage everybody in here uh, to read a book that is from a different cultural slice of life. This month, uh, I want to recommend this book by John Perkins. It's called One Blood. I think this is great. Parting words for the church on race. John Perkins is a warrior that has gone before us. A warrior. Uh, If you want something that's a little more theological, I want to recommend Anthony Carter. He's a good man. He wrote a book called On Being Black and Reformed. A New Perspective on the African-American Christian Experience. I looked for my book on, uh, by Tabiti Anwabile, uh, wrote uh, a history of African-American contribution to the church um, in America. And uh, personally, I've read those. Personally, I'm gonna re- this is my book for the month. It's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Uh, he is the founder, at, they call it The Witness now. It was formerly the Reformed African American Network, RAN. Uh, and uh, he is a uh, Mississippian that is brilliant. And any of these books, I want to challenge you to read them. This is my book. Uh, let's not worship our culture. Let's worship the one true God. Why do I bring these up? Because here's, the, here's another option for you. And this is one of my favorites. Uh, this is a book called Steal Away Home. It's actually by, about a slave named Thomas Johnson. Thomas Johnson was a slave in Virginia. Uh, He was on a plantation, and here's how he became a Christian. Uh, There was a a preacher in his day day and age named Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Spurgeon had just global influence, huge impact in, in the world. And one thing he spoke just boldly against was slavery. In his day, it was the economic backbone. Uh, of the world, right? The British Empire. He was in London, the heart of it. Um, And he spoke truth to it. And uh, Thomas Johnson heard of Charles Spurgeon, not because the radio, not because the internet, not because someone tweeted out a quote by Spurgeon. And he was like, man, that's awesome. None of those existed back then. But there were plantation owners and slave owners in the South that were taking Spurgeon sermons and they were burning them. Spurgeon had global influence with his sermons being printed. Thomas Johnson found one of these sermons and he took it back to uh, where he was a slave and he, he was led to Christ and ended up becoming a Christian. And when he was freed, he left and he went to Chicago. He got training as a pastor, then went to London and went into Charles Spurgeon's uh, uh, missionary training. They became friends. And he was sent to Africa, the country where his, his heritage was originally taken from for, for the transatlantic slave uh, trade. And he went back as a missionary to them. Why do I bring that up? Charles Spurgeon had an amazing, amazing, amazing global influence. You want to know why he became a Christian? 
why God used them in such a powerful way? This passage. In 1850, Charles Spurgeon was 15 years old. And he grew up in a church. His dad was a pastor, but he never knew the love of God. He knew religion, but he didn't know God. And, and one Sunday, his family had already left for church. It had snowed a tremendous amount, and he couldn't get all the way to the church. They walked in those days. And so Spurgeon went to a, uh, what was called a Pioneer Methodist Church, where they had a reputation for fiery preaching. He went there because it was the closest one, and he just wanted to go to church. He went in, and there was 12 people in there, and the, the preacher wasn't able to get there because there was too much snow. And the, the guy who stood up, a lay leader, spoke from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. And he said, turn to the Lord and be saved. You see, there, there is only one covenant-keeping God where restoration is found in him. And he said, turn to the Lord. And the story is, Spurgeon tells it, that this lay pastor looked at him, one of the 12 people, and said, you look mighty miserable today, young man. Have you turned to the Lord? Have you looked to the Lord? You look miserable. And Spurgeon will say, I had never been called out in a sermon before but I'd never had a preacher speak what was so right. I was miserable. Have you turned to the Lord? What are you turning to? Your religion? Your performance? The idols of this world? Have you turned to the Lord to be saved? The promise of this passage in verse 22, that we can turn from whatever idol we have and turn to the Lord and we can be saved. And it's a salvation, a restoration that is eternal, Mitchell. Prove it. Look at verse 17. God's people are saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. It's a salvation that delivers. God alone can save. He turned to him. How can he save? I'm a sinful person. I'm an idolatrous person. I worship the silliest things, even instruments, my cultural traditions, much less the wealth of the world and the, and the status of this world. How can a holy God accept me? Verse 23, humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself and confess your sin. Verse 23 is super clear. The, uh, the end of it, every knee will one day bow, every tongue will one day swear allegiance and confess that he alone is God. Humble yourself before the Lord. Paul, the Apostle Paul, will pick up on this very passage in Colossians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, and he ascribes it directly to Jesus. The Lord, have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Who is this king of glory that Paul writes about in Colossians 1, 15 to 18? He's the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, by him, and are for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Have you humbled yourself before him? You really want restoration? Put yourself down on your face in prostration before the living God. In him, verse 24, is righteousness and strength. Only in the Lord, only in the Lord shall it be said are righteousness and strength. You come with unrighteousness. He gives you righteousness. You come in weakness. He gives you strength. This is the heart of the gospel. 
This is how, it is a great exchange that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of Christ. It's why we come to the table, knowing the last thing that we see in this passage, verse 26, that it's only, the verse 26, excuse me, 25, it is only the Lord who can justify. Only the Lord can make you right before himself. Only a holy God that has sin atoned for can be in relationship with an unholy people. That's the gospel. We find strength because he became weak for us. We find forgiveness because he became sin for us. We find life because he died for us. We have immortality in Christ because he experienced mortality in our place. We find the richness of his grace because he entered into the poverty of this world and became man, living the perfect life we could never live, dying the death we deserve, and rising from the grave. Church, I asked you, have you humbled yourself before him today? Or are you constantly turning to the counterfeit gods of your own making, created things? If you have never turned to the Lord, Maybe when I spoke the Spurgeon line of how miserable you look and feel, maybe you said, that's me. That's me. I want to be saved. My religion can't save me. My own self-effort can't save me. My strength can't save me. Save me, Jesus. We want to invite you to come pray. Alex Solorio will be right here when we come up for communion. But if you're like me and you know the Lord, but you're weary from worshiping the gods of your own making, the gods of this culture. Humble yourself, church, and come to this table and feast on the grace of the one who humbled himself for you. Turn from the false gods of your heart and return to the Lord. This table is not the table of First Presbyterian Church. This is the Lord's table, and he gives it to us to nourish us with his grace. We can find forgiveness, restoration, and renewal in him no matter where you are today. This is for you if you are in Christ and you are in good standing with his church. And you can be sure of it because it was the night that Jesus was betrayed. We read about it in the Passion that that he took bread after supper. After giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in victory in church. He will come again. This table is for you the sacrament of God for the people of God. Join me as we pray for the mercy of God. Lord, we thank you for the reality that we can be saved in you, that we can find restoration through returning and worshiping you. So often, Lord, we identify with the rich young ruler who cannot separate ourselves and turn from the idols of our heart and our culture. And you stand there forever with arms wide open saying, come to me, come to me. Lord, I pray for those in here that need to drink deeply of your grace. Please set these common and ordinary elements apart and use them to nourish us. 
Use us, use them to help us to return to you in a relationship. Lord, for those that have never come to you, who feel miserable inside, maybe they don't look miserable outside. Father, I pray that they would boldly come and put their faith in you. And Lord, for for those of us that are navigating difficult, difficult seasons, we pray that your sovereignty would feed us in this meal. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. Please feed us in these elements. In Jesus' name, 